Hello, and thank you for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If you enjoy this message, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join Senior Pastor Henry Jones as he teaches from the Word of God. However, I think I should say I've listened to a lot of songs, but I can't sing like that. (laughs) Wow. Wow, that's all I've got to say. Praise the Lord. What a great message. Would you open your Bibles to Romans Chapter 14, verse 17. Romans 14, 17. And this morning I want to speak to you on the subject, the kingdom of God, sometimes referred to as the kingdom of heaven in the Bible. And uh, I want to tell you we're, we're changing things up just a little bit. And that is that I'm preaching a little bit earlier because we want some time at the end of the service to do a couple of worship songs. So... Uh, when I finish preaching, if you hit the door and leave, you're going to miss the best part of this service. I'm just saying, worshiping, worshiping the Lord. The kingdom of God. As you'll see in just a moment as I present some scripture to you, that the kingdom of God is one of, if not the most important subjects in the Bible. And what I have to say today will barely scratch the surface of this amazing subject. And when I'm done, this is my disclaimer now, when I'm done preaching this morning, there will be a whole lot more left unsaid than said. The kingdom of God is what the Bible is about. But I want us to just begin with this. Know this. That the kingdom of God is the first and most important pursuit of our lives. One more time. The kingdom of God is the first and the most important pursuit of our lives according to the Lord Jesus Christ. He said in Matthew the 6th chapter, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you. Jesus was saying, find the kingdom of God. Find the kingdom of God. And everything else will fall into place. Everything else that you need will be added. Now, just one little verse and one little focus this morning. Romans 14, verse 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a, that's a powerful verse. It says a lot. But I want to begin with those first words, for the kingdom of God. Now, the reason the Apostle Paul said that is because it was a central theme in his preaching. And it was also a central theme in all of the New Testament preaching. I really discovered some things that I did not know about the kingdom of God. And I've been reading the Bible for many, many years and studying it intensively. But let's begin with John the Baptist. 
Matthew 3, 1 and 2. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching. You see that? He came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. John started this thing about preaching the kingdom of God. But it didn't stop with John. In Matthew 4.17, Jesus continued the message. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The Bible tells us that Jesus went about the land preaching, and this was one of those recurring statements that he would make to people everywhere. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So it began with John, and then Jesus preached the kingdom of God. But it didn't stop there. It was passed on to the twelve apostles. Luke 9, 1 and 2. Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So John started it, Jesus continued it, and then he commissioned the twelve, and they went out and preached the kingdom of God. But it didn't stop there. Jesus later appointed 70 disciples to go throughout the whole nation and to preach, and before they left, he commissioned them and told them what to say. This is Luke 10, 9-11. He said to them, And heal the sick there, and say... Say this, the word preach is not there, but it's implied. And say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say. He didn't just say go out and shake the dust of your feet off against them. He said you have to say it. Say to them, the very dust of your city which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. These 70 went all over the nation. The first thing they said when they entered the town is the kingdom of God has come near you. If the city rejected the message, the last thing they said is, we're out of here, but nevertheless, the kingdom of God has come near you. But it didn't end with the 70. Paul began to preach the kingdom of God. Acts 28, 30 through 31. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. For two whole years, Paul preached on the kingdom of God and obviously with a focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. So it began with John. Jesus continued it. The twelve apostles carried it on. The seventy preached it. And then the apostle Paul preached it. But according to the Bible, there was a specific time when all preaching changed and the focus of all preaching became the kingdom of God. Here it is. Luke 16, 16. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached. And everyone is pressing into it. 
You see, what the Bible is telling us is when the Old Testament began all the way up to John, the preaching, the focus, the teaching was on the law and the prophets. Now, they've not been done away with, but that's not the focus anymore. The focus shifted with John, and now it's the preaching of the kingdom of God. So, we begin to see how important the kingdom of God is. Now, everything I've shared with you thus far begs the question, do we really know what the kingdom of God is all about? I was amazed that John and Jesus and the twelve disciples and the seventy who were sent out and the Apostle Paul and all the preaching of the New Testament and from that day is to be focused on the kingdom of God. And I dare say there's some of you here today and you've never once heard a message on the kingdom of God. We don't emphasize the kingdom of God anymore. We're a little confused when it comes to the kingdom of God. And trust me, friends, the kingdom of God is not the kingdom of America. See, we make the same mistakes that the Jewish people made. They came to Jesus and they said, Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he actually ignored them. He wouldn't even answer the question. Why? Because they had confused the kingdom of Israel with the kingdom of God. And, and, and so I'm asking you today, if someone were to ask you, Paul preached on it for two years straight. Could you teach on the kingdom of God? Could you define the kingdom of God? Do you know what the kingdom of God is all about? Well, the kingdom of God, that, that brings us back to our text. Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not. Now, the first thing the apostle Paul does is he tells us what it's not. Sometimes you need to know what something's not in order to know what it is. So this is what he says. He says, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. The kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. It's not about rules and regulations. Now, don't get confused here. The kingdom of God has rules. It has regulations. It has standards. But that's not what it is. At all. That's not what the kingdom of God is. I, I want to I drive this point home by using my own family, my own marriage, my own household as an illustration. My wife and I have now been married for 48 years. And she deserves a trophy or something, I'm just telling you. The fact that she's put up with me for 48 years is amazing. I thank God for that. I'm deeply in debt. But when we got married, and I have to say this was, uh, this was done not just by her or me. We did this together. We set some rules and regulations for our family. And I want to share some of those rules and regulations. One of the first rules that we set for our house when we got married, living in Satchapi, our little 800 square foot home that we were so proud of, it was our castle, it was our kingdom. This was a rule. No drinking in our house. You show up at our house drinking, you can't bring your nasty old booze in my house. Nope. 
It's, it, it's a rule. Now, you may say, what Bible verse do you base that on? Actually, we didn't base it on the Bible. We based it on past experience and observation. It's been my observation from the time I was a little boy that when people drink, they turn into something other than what they are normally. And, and I don't like for people to turn into something else when they're in my house. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? People who drink turn into something. They get too loud, too loving, too mean, too crazy, too difficult to deal with. And so we, we said, no, no, no drinking, no alcohol in our home. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Hold your hand up if you've ever been around somebody now. You don't have to confess your own sin. If you've ever been around somebody who's drinking, come on, come on. You're not saying you're doing. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? I, I call them the obnoxious loving drunk. People start drinking and they get obnoxiously loving. Oh, I just love you so much. Oh, you're just so wonderful. I know you may find this hard to believe, but there have been times, more times than I can count, where somebody in Wakala County decides to start drinking and about the middle of the night, they pick up the phone and call me. Now, I have no idea what inspires somebody who's drinking to pick up the phone and call the pastor in the middle of the night. But I pick up the phone, and this is what I hear sometimes. Oh, pastor, I just want to tell you, you're the greatest pastor, and I just love you, and you're just so awesome. And I just felt like, sometimes they'll say, I was praying, and I just, I, I just felt like, I, pastor, can I come over to your house and just hug you? <laughs> no! No, you cannot! Quit drinking and go to bed. And, and, and then there, there, there are people who just get loud. And, and we don't want that in our home. And then there are people who just get mean. I'm bulletproof. Yeah, I've been drinking. I'm bad. You mess with me. Yeah. I'll whoop you. Yeah. You know, some people get... They're Diamond Jim when they get, when they're drinking. Some people are, are mean and, and you just never know what they're going to turn into. And some people just go crazy. No, I'm serious. They just absolutely go crazy. And you never know what to expect. We actually have a guy in this church right here this morning. A faithful man of God loves, loves Jesus, but he quit drinking many years ago and he told me why he quit drinking. He said he quit drinking because he was allergic to alcohol. I said, what do you mean allergic to alcohol? He said, when I drink, I break out in handcuffs. <laughs> now, that may not be a standard in your home, but it is a standard in my home. No drinking, no alcohol comes into our home. And I can tell you, in 48 years, we've never had one fuss, one argument, one mishap in our home because of alcohol. That's, that's our standard. Now, somebody will always ask me this question after I preach like this. Pastor, do you think it's a sin to take a drink? And the answer to that is no. 
No, I don't. The Bible doesn't even back that up. But here's what I do believe is a sin. When you consume enough alcohol or drugs that it begins to alter your personality and you begin to behave on a level that you don't normally behave on. And the Bible says that's a sin. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. And by the way, for a lot of people, that's one drink. Just saying. Wanted you to hear that. Here's another standard we have. Long before it was taboo in our house, long before it was taboo in society to smoke in public, we started from day one, 48 years ago, nobody smokes in our home. Again, if you want to know what biblical verse I used for that, I didn't have a biblical verse. We did it because... We said no smoking in our home simply because it stinks. Why would we let somebody come into our home and stink our home up? Don't get to smoke in my house. Right after we got married, a guy comes into the house, sits on the sofa. He uh, sits there for a few minutes. He pulls his cigarette out of his his cigarette pack out of his front pocket, gets his lighter out, holds it, looks around. He looks at me. He says, "Where's your ashtray?" I said, we don't have ashtrays in this house. Why don't you have ashtrays? I said, because we don't smoke in this house. And I said, we don't let anybody else smoke in this house. I said, you, you can go outside and smoke, and I'll go outside and talk to you, but you can't smoke in my house. You can't stink my house up. And so uh, he didn't like it, but he didn't smoke in my house. <laughs> now, I need to throw this one in, too, because of an experience my wife and I had. You don't get to chew tobacco in my house. No chewing tobacco in the Jones kingdom. We don't like it. Before I finish my story, I have to tell you, I was in Bainbridge, and there was a a, a great biblical teacher there, and I was talking to him one day, and this guy came up, and you know these people that just like to ask you questions to trip you up. You know, they just like to ask you a question to trip you up. And he said, I got a question for you two men of God. Can you chew tobacco and go to heaven? And the guy standing by me was a druggist named Ernie Bill, uh, uh, Gilstrap, and a great man of God, knew the Bible real well, and he said, I'll answer that. And I was glad, because they didn't want to answer. He says, can you chew tobacco and go to heaven? And Ernie Gilstrap reached over and put his hand on his shoulder, and he said, absolutely. He said, you can chew tobacco and go to heaven, but you've got to go to hell to spit. All right, back to my story. So, uh, in our first little pastorate up in Georgia, one day a deacon came and knocked on the door. We opened the door, he came in, and we started talking. My wife and I, neither one, realized that he had a mouthful of tobacco. And he got up right in the middle of a conversation and walked over to the kitchen sink and spit his tobacco in the kitchen sink. Now, that's just nasty. My, my brother went to college with a guy that was so nasty, they called him Dirty McNasty. I'm telling you, 
That's nasty. And I also want you to know that I'm usually the spokesman. I'm usually the leader. I'm usually the one who's speaking up. My wife is very sweet, very humble, very laid back. But when he spit that tobacco in the sink, I'm serious. I just backed up. I just backed up. Because I knew mama was going in for the kill. She got in his face and she screamed at him and she said, you get yourself out of this house and don't you ever come back in this house with tobacco in your mouth. And I want you to know, like a scared rabbit, he hit that door. Now, we maintain friendship with him. But I'm telling you, to this very day, if he shows up at my house, he will not have tobacco in his mouth. I I, I could go on and on with this, but uh, for instance, let me just tell you, you don't make a mess at my house for somebody else to clean up. That's irresponsible. Every mom in the house should be saying amen right now. You don't leave, yeah. Yeah. You don't leave your dirty clothes on the floor for somebody else to pick up. You don't go to the table and eat a wonderful meal and then get up and leave while mama cleans it up. We had a rule at our house that when the meal was over, now the kids didn't have to clean the meal, but I mean uh, cook the meal, but from the time they were little, when the meal was over, this was our rule. They heard it hundreds of times. Nobody leaves the kitchen until mama leaves the kitchen. She's not your servant. She's not your slave. She's your mother. We have rules at our house. But here's what I want you to understand, friends. I've shared with you the rules of the Jones house, the Jones kingdom, but that's not who we are. You just know some of the rules. And that's the problem in the kingdom of God. A lot of people know some of the rules, but they know nothing about the kingdom of God and what it is and what it's like. Uh, Before I move on, let me just tell you a little bit about who we are at the Jones House. 76 North Lake Ellen Lane. This is the Jones Kingdom. We are flawed, broken, imperfect servants of a perfect Savior, washed and made holy by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ waiting for that glorious day when He shall return and we shall see Him like He is and we will be like Him. That defines the dynamic of my house and my home. That's who we are. Not the rules and the regulations. I need to add this just in case you decide to implement some of these things at your house if you haven't already. And that is... The rules and the regulations at our house do not define who we are, but who we are determines the rules and the regulations. And thus it is in the kingdom of God. And, and, and so what we find Paul saying is he's saying, It's not this. It's not rules and regulations. Now, the kingdom of God has rules and regulations, but that's not what the kingdom of God is. And now notice, I'm going to read it again, Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy 
in the Holy Spirit. Oh, when you're talking to people about the kingdom, don't start throwing rules and regulations at them. There's a place for that. And we, and, and we have to deal with that. But let me tell you, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Very simply, having all your sins forgiven. That's righteousness. The Bible says, He who knew no sin, speaking of Jesus, became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. You, you see, friends, righteousness. When you find the kingdom of God, you find righteousness. You find holiness. You find goodness. You, you, find, you find the things that are right. And then, no more fighting. That's peace. The kingdom of God is righteousness and peace. I looked up the biblical meaning of this word peace, and it means exemption from the rage and havoc of war. Let me tell you, when you find the kingdom of God, you find righteousness. And you find a place where you are exempt from the rage and the havoc of war. That doesn't mean you won't have to take a stand from time to time. It doesn't mean that you won't have to fight some battles out there. But listen carefully, friends. When you find the kingdom of God, the battle is over on the inside. There's peace on the inside. You're no longer fighting on the inside. You found the peace of God that passes all understanding. And then finally, a deep sense of gladness and excitement. That's joy. The Bible calls it, the Apostle Peter describes it this way, inexpressible and full of glory. The, the Apostle Peter said, when you find it, you'll find something that's beyond words. You can't even describe it. It's inexpressible. What I'm trying to say to you today, friends, is we don't have to get all theological. We can just take God's word for what it says and what it means. The kingdom of God is not rules and regulations, eating and drinking. The kingdom of God is righteousness. It is peace. And it is joy in the Holy Spirit. By the way, if you're visiting with us today, and you're wondering why we shout, and why we jump around, and why we dance a little bit, why we clap our hands, why we raise our hands, why we celebrate like we celebrate? I'll tell you. This is why we do it. We can't help ourselves. We have found the kingdom. We found righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. We can't help ourselves. By the way, you won't be able to help yourself either. When you find it. Hey, I, I want to share one more scripture, and then I want to read something to you, and I'll close. I went all the way back into the book of Daniel. Daniel 2, verse 44. Daniel prophesies way back in the Old Testament what would happen when the kingdom of God comes and, and some things about it. Here it is. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. By the way, friends, that's exactly what Jesus did when he came. 
that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. This is not a kingdom that's passed down from one generation to the next. Listen. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end and it shall stand forever. I was really trying to figure out in my mind how I would communicate this to you. And as God would have it, I sat down yesterday, and I'm one of those individuals, I don't, I, I don't watch the news anymore, I read the news. I, te- I tease about watching the news. If I watch the news, I get suicidal. <laughs> Not really, I'm teasing. But I do get depressed. So I go through and read what I want to read. And I read these headlines that drove me to read the whole article. And I'm going to read these headlines to you. Iran has world's fastest growing church. Despite no buildings. And it's mostly led by women. Now you're saying, oh wait preacher, that, yeah, okay, that's not biblical. Let me tell you something friends. Throughout history... When men are too sorry to stand up, God will have godly women that will stand up. Yes. I've pastored churches where the men wouldn't even come to church. There'd be a few men, and godly women would hold that church together. Now, it's God's plan for men to lead out and be strong. But boy, has God used women through the years. So I thought, man, this is who would believe that? If I'd ask you where the fastest growing church in the world is, would you have said, I ran? Listen to this. A new film tells the story of the fastest growing church in the world, an underground persecuted Christian movement in a country known for exporting radical Islamic terrorism, Iran. People in Iran, a Muslim-majority nation, are fleeing Islam in droves as believers bow their knee to Jesus and become aggressively pro-Israel, according to the documentary, Sheep Among Wolves, Volume 2. This is, you're not going to hear this. You're not going to hear this on the secular news. They won't do it. What if I told you Islam is dead? One unidentified Iranian church leader says in the film, What if I told you the mosques are empty inside Iran? He continues, what if I told you no one follows Islam inside of Iran? Would you believe me? This is exactly what is happening inside of Iran. God is moving powerfully inside of Iran. This is what they're calling it, the Iranian awakening. That's that's how they've named it. It owns no property, no buildings, no central leadership, and is predominantly led by women. By the way, friends, if a man's going the wrong direction and a woman's going in the right direction, follow the woman. Man, that didn't go over real good, did it? All right. The documentary claims Muslim background Iranians are leading a quiet but mass exodus out of Islam, bowing their knees to the Jewish Messiah with kindled affection toward the Jewish people. Now hold on, I'm going to read some more to you. 
But, but, I, but I want you to, I, I want to remind you of what I just read you in Daniel. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. It shall stand forever. Do you understand that Christianity is here to stay? Jesus is Lord of lords and He's King of kings. Don't believe the bad news you're hearing out there. Don't believe what you're hearing through the media. The Word of God stands true. Let me read on. We know, and by the way, this is gonna, this is gonna break your heart when you read this, and I hope it drives you to pray. We know that if they get us, the first thing they will do to us as a woman is rape us, and then they will beat us, and ultimately they will kill us. One believer said, this is the decision we have made that we want to offer our bodies as sacrifices. A leader of the Iranian underground church explains their goal is not planting churches, but rather making disciples. He clarifies it this way, disciples forsake the world and cling to Jesus till he comes. Converts don't. The leader said disciples aren't... Now, please hear this. Some of you need to hear this. Some of you are so deeply involved in Democratic Party or the Republican Party. Please listen to this. Disciples are not, aren't engaged in a culture war. Converts are. Disciples cherish, obey, and share the word of God. Converts don't. Disciples choose Jesus over anything and everything else. Converts don't. Converts run when the fire comes. Disciples don't. And a pastor, one more paragraph. And a pastor explains everything they do underground is built on prayer. We find people of peace through prayer. We even find locations through prayer. He says Jesus has come in their dreams or he's come miraculously in their lives. When we hear this, we know that Jesus has gone ahead of us. I stand before you this morning to tell you that the kingdom of God is alive and well on planet earth. It is an eternal kingdom. It is an everlasting kingdom. It is a kingdom that will break in pieces all other kingdoms. It is the kingdom of God. And when you find the kingdom of God, you'll find righteousness, you'll find peace, and you'll find joy in the Holy Ghost. But maybe this is the most important of all and it defines everything else. When you find the kingdom of God, you will have found the king of the kingdom. His name is Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. He is Lord of Lords and He's King of Kings. I'm asking you, have you really found the kingdom of God? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. All these other things will be added to you. Let's bow and pray. Thank you again for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or you need someone to pray with you, then please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. 
For more information, visit us at riveroflifefl.com.